So the first of the Bible readings is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, reading from verse 1 to 13. It's about Paul admonishing the Corinthian church about sexual immorality. It's on page 1083 of the Church Bible, 1083 of the Church Bible. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this. So when you're assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the sinful nature so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual, sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with any who claim to be, follow, to be fellow believers but are sexually immoral or greedy idolaters or slanderers, drunkards or swindlers, with such persons do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 18 reading from verse 1 to 14. And that's on page 931 of the Church Bible. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child, whom he placed among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a humble place, becoming like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name, welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. 
such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier that one sheep he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's lovely to be here with you this morning. Um, as Nicholas said before, I'm Sam Richards. I'm the head of children's and youth work for the United Reformed Church, which I generally describe as being chief cheerleader for children and young people within the church. I'm uh, very often in meetings where there are no children and young people present, and I feel it's my job to just remind everybody that everything we do in our church life, all the decisions that we make, have an impact on children and young people because they are also part of the church. <coughs> So I'm delighted to be here with you this morning, particularly to be presenting the Child Friendly Church Award to you. And you are the first church that I've had the privilege of uh, presenting that to because I've only been in this post about 10 months. I visited another church, Salisbury URC Church, um, earlier in the week, and they've had the uh, Child Friendly Church Award. In fact, it's proudly displayed in the, in the foyer. It's one of the first things you notice when you go in the church. They, they stand up very well, actually, those plaques. And, uh, and they were, they will, they were telling me proudly they were the first in their synod to get the award and that they've also been through the renewal process. So they're, um, they're long-standing child-friendly church. <clears throat> they were talking about how it impacts the whole, the whole of church life, that it, uh, they said it helps keep them to a standard and that it uh, affects everything that they, impacts everything that they do on a Sunday and everything that they do during the week. And I hope that you will find the same. So our passages this morning, uh, thank you for giving me the very challenging passage from Corinthians to speak about. <laughs> I'm coming to talk to you about children and young people. So I hope you don't mind that I've linked it to the passage from Matthew, which I think gives us a context for thinking, for thinking about those uh, difficult issues that Paul is talking about in, in Corinthians and very much echoed in Jesus's words in Matthew about um, how, how do we do with the things that are um, le leading us into sin and as, as, a, as a whole body, you know, the challenge that sometimes, it's, sometimes we might even need to cut things off in, or in order for um, the body to go in, but also in the context of that lost sheep, that the, the, go go the going after, the finding, the bringing back in um, whatever, whatever has been lost. So the start, uh, I love this passage from Matthew, it's one of my, one of my favourites because it, st it starts with a, a dispute, an argument, um, a theological argument if you like amongst the disciples and I'm sure you never have any here, I'm sure as a, 
um, ecumenical church partnership that you've managed to sort out and smooth over all theological issues. There's never any causes of dispute or, or difficulty amongst you. But if there ever should be one, uh, can I suggest that you follow the example of Jesus? So there's a theological uh, debate issue uh, <coughs> raging. And what he does is he, he brings a child and he puts a child in the middle and he gets everyone to think, if we look at this problem with a child in the, middle, in the midst of us, how, how, does, how does that change the problem? How does that change what we're talking about? What, what different perspective does that, does that bring? So I challenge you as a church to do that um, when, when you're having issues and disputes, to think if we, had a, if we think about children and young people as being in the middle of us and in the middle of this, what, dif- what difference does that make to what we're thinking about? Um, and children, the reason he can do that is because ch- there, must have been, there must have been children and young people around him because he, he can just beckon one over and say, come, come stand in the middle for me, be a, be a, you know, be a living, being a living example of what I want to talk about. And, of course, children and young people would have been around and about the whole time. Um, I'm certainly guilty of reading the New Testament and the Book of Acts as though all the important things happen in serious adult-only moments, like now when we, you know, you might think we've sent the children out so we can now have our serious adult time. But in fact, quite, quite the opposite is true. And if you, if you look closely, children and young people are around and about. Um, they're just not, if they're not being mentioned, it's because it's assumed that they're there rather than the other way around, assume that they're not. So at the feeding of the 5,000, we're told there are 5,000, not counting all the women and children, so, because he just just never bothered mentioning that there are there are always women and there are always children um, around all the time. In fact, children, um, Jesus heals them. He raises them from the dead. Um, he includes them in his teaching. The par- you know his parable style teaching is really inclusive of children and young people. He includes them in the challenges. Um, that he that he gives his disciples, he eats with them, he laughs with them, and uh, according to Desmond Tutu's translation of the passage where uh, Jesus is blessing the children, he tickles them, which I think is fantastic. I'm sure he did. I'm sure Jesus tickled them. <clears throat> um, and uh, so we have this dispute with the disciples. He beckons a child over, gets the child to stand in the middle, and then he gives the disciples six challenges. Um, do, you want, do you want to put the Put the slide up. So these are the these are the six challenges we're going to we're going to think through together. He challenges them to change and become more like children. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty stark, isn't it? Whoever becomes and uh, Jesus suggests humble like a child, and in his day the social status of children was right at the, right at the bottom. Things are rather different, perhaps, in 21st century um, Britain. But <clears throat> um, who, whoever changes and becomes like a child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, and this is a genuine question, and I want answers. <laughs> it's not a rhetorical question. What qualities might we insert there unless you change and become what like children? So what, what qualities might we put in there? So what, 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 unless you change and become, in what way like, what, what are children like? Trusting. So unless we change and become trusting like children, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Any other things that children are like? Unless you change and become dependent like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, dependent on one another, dependent on God. Unless you change and become playful like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Any other suggestions? Yes, unless you become attentive and listening like children. 
and soak their sponges, aren't they? Soaking it up like children. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Any more? Nessie change and become open-minded, curious even, like children. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become questioning like children, um, experimenting like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become adventurous, yes, and life is exciting to children, isn't it? And excited like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Others. <clears throat> and not only do we need to become, the, become like those things in order to enter the kingdom, people who are like those, the followers of Jesus who, are, who, are, who have those qualities, are going to be the ones who are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The dependent, the playful, the, the curious, the um, excited, all those, all those things. Second challenge to the disciples, and therefore to us as followers of Jesus, is to welcome children and a reminder that how we welcome children is actually how we're welcoming Jesus. Not how we think we're welcoming Jesus. The real test of how, how welcoming to Jesus we are is how we are welcoming children and young people. So how do we welcome them as children and as young people? <clears throat> um, one, of, one of my favorite prayers of, uh, around hospitality suggests that we need, we need to remember that um, everyone comes bringing a gift and hopefully leaves taking a blessing with them. So perhaps think about, um, you know all your children and young people in your church, so perhaps think about one, particularly now in your heads, name a, name a child a young person, and then think, what gift? Back to the, uh, the diary of a young person we heard uh, earlier. What gift do they bring to this church? And what blessing do you hope they leave with? and go out into the rest of their lives with um, every week from this church. That's how we're welcoming them, by seeing that, recognising that, and enabling them to, to share and, and give of themselves. The third challenge is not to be a stumbling block to their faith. And this is <clears throat> where we start to link with that difficult passage from Corinthians in some ways. Can we, are we able to see the obstacles and barriers that we might be putting between children and young people and Jesus? Um, I'm teased mercilessly in the office, in church house, because I'm forever saying the church-friendly child award instead of the child-friendly church award. <laughs> but uh, I, I quite like that image of a, a church-friendly child, that we could put a little sticker on a child and go, oh yes, you're church-friendly, meaning you can be quiet in the right places, you know how to entertain yourself when it gets very boring. In fact, I remember taking my daughter when she was four to what turned out to be a really long ordination service. And after about half an hour, I said to her, are you all right? And she said, yes. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm counting the bricks. I went, yes, that's it. You are a, ch a church-friendly child. You have found a way to entertain yourself. Um, <clears throat> okay. But in fact, we should be doing the opposite, shouldn't we? We should be being a, ch <laughs> a child-friendly church rather than expecting our children and young people to be church-friendly church um, themselves. So thinking about what more can we do to help to, to um, not to put barriers between uh, them and us. And also to think about the wider society, the wider context of their lives, and what else might be going on in the world that might make it hard for them to believe in a God that loves them. So um, I've heard in the earlier service that you're um, involved in a food bank and um, 
you know, there might be lots, lots of other ways in which you're um, tackling um, wide, wider issues of uh, justice or perhaps speaking up for children and young people in places where their voices aren't heard to help change the world to make it a place where their experience is closer to the kingdom of God, where the, the, the barriers between knowing that God loves them and their experience of life um, are, are being removed. The fourth challenge is not to stumble ourselves, and here we really have that link to the Corinthians passage. <clears throat> um, a reminder that what we do, how we behave, becomes yeast within our community and, and infects the whole, the whole thing. And children and young people are going to be particularly impacted by that, by our behaviour. Uh, young people in particular have finely honed hypocrisy detectors. Yeah. They, they sniff out um, the slightest um, example of you not doing what you say you should or you think, is, you think is important. And that's because it really matters to them. Authenticity really, really matters to them. And they're really looking for it here in the church. And so that is a great challenge to us. Like it or not, we are role models. Children and young people are going to imitate us. That's what Paul's, you know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we're all supposed to be doing in discipling one another. We're all trying to imitate Christ, and therefore we can expect others around us to be, trying to, to be trying to imitate us, and children and young people are going to be doing that. They're looking at us and thinking, that's what it looks like to be a Christian age 10, age 20, age 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and you may go beyond that within this, this congregation. Um, and uh, what, they, what they need to see are not people trying to be perfect or trying to project, uh, I've got... I've got it all sorted. I'm now the perfect Christian. What they need to see are real Christians who struggle, who get things wrong, but who can be honest about that. Some research from America, as Sticky Faith Research, showed that children and young people who stuck with their faith into adulthood were, children, were those who'd been exposed to adults talking about their, their doubts, their struggles, and when they messed up. Not, not those who'd, who'd been brought up in perfect Christian, Christian family. So I hope that's an encouragement to you, but it's also a challenge, isn't it? It means we've got to be real. It means we've got to talk about um, those, those, re those real things. And the reason that helps them stick with their faith is because they will have doubts. They will have difficulties. They will mess up. And if they think doing any of that means you're not a Christian anymore because they've never seen any Christians do those things, that's when they start to walk out, out the door, if not physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, do you know what I mean? They, they, they're starting to think, I'm not one of them because of all, of all these things. Fifth challenge is not to despise um, the young, not to look down on them, not to dismiss them, not to ignore them, and a reminder that their angels always see the face of our Heavenly Father. So, so of course, we need to be doing the opposite. We need to be involving, listening to, including, valuing, serving together, allowing them sometimes to lead and inspire us. Um, the challenge here is to be more and more intergenerational. Within the URC, we have this thing called the Charter for Children in the Church. And one of the uh, uh, elements within that is to say that, uh, that children and adults are equal partners in the church and that that's what we're, we're working towards. And the final challenge is not to lose any of the young, like that lost sheep. And it's interesting, isn't it, that that parable that we're so familiar with is in the midst of this um, conversation. 
a child is still in the middle of the group of disciples. As far you know, we've got no reason to believe that that, that child's wandered off, wandered off yet. Jesus is, you know, is still is still saying all these things, talking about having a child in the middle. We need to notice when they're missing, and we need to notice when they're disconnecting, when we're when we're losing them. Um, and we need to be engaging with them. So all the children and young people that you know, that you have any kind of relationship with here in church, don't forget them when you walk out the door. If, obviously, if you're taking them home with you, that's, that's very straightforward and very easy. But <clears throat> um, if, if you're not, um, pray for them. Think, think of ways of making your relationship with them a real friendship that extends beyond when you meet together on a, on a Sunday morning because it's those intergenerational relationships that really matter. What, what are we as a church if not a community of faith? And we need to be sharing our faith with children and young people, but we also need to be sharing our community, our relationships with children and young people. I grew up in a church with very few children, an awful lot of lovely old ladies, and I was blessed with all sorts of spiritual aunts, uncles, grandparents, kind of super, super godparents. They were the people. It was those relationships that kept me in church, kept me in faith as I grew up and when I went to university, because I knew they loved me and I loved them. When any children or young people join the family, I was uh, uh, enjoying looking at Lois earlier. Who, is, she, is Lois the youngest member of your, your church here? She's what, coming up for 10 months. Um, that, changes, that changes the family and it changes um, how, how we look at everything. But I was just hearing how she's just started rolling and that suddenly means you need a stair gate um, to, to, to protect her. And then in another, in, an, in another little bit, the stair gate will in itself be a hazard because she'll be trying to climb over it and that'll be more dangerous than not, than not having one. And that's the thing about children and young people. We have, they make us look at our environment and everything through new eyes and think how, how safe, how welcoming, how secure is this for them, how appropriately challenging is it. But they keep growing and changing and we've got to keep re-looking at ourselves and the environment we're creating here in church through those changing eyes and needs. Um, having a child-friendly church award doesn't mean you can tick off that we've met all these six challenges here. It's a reminder that these are constant challenges for us, and we'll keep, uh, keep needing to revisit these things. But you are a church that is trying to put children and young people in the middle, in the heart of your life together. We're all walking the way living the life of Jesus today as disciples, and we need to be growing in faith with our children and young people so that we're enabling them, and they in turn enable us to play our part in the mission of God.